Maintenant, voici l'hôte de Romantic Trousse, Josan. Hi everyone, Johnson here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. It is January 15th, 2022. All is well. Now, we were looking at the national demographics uh, for our show in the United States. Nevada, you're number one at 61% of listeners. Number two is Maryland at 9% of the listeners. Texas is number three with 4% of listeners. And, of course, we have California at number four, with 4% of listeners. Washington State, you're down to 2%. And New Jersey, you follow up with 2%. And then New York, you're at 1% of our listenership. And then we have uh, Illinois at 1% as well. North Carolina's at 1%. Ohio's at 1%, Pennsylvania's at 1%, Georgia's at 1%, Florida's at 1%. And then from there, we have, uh, let's see, who's this? Georgia at 1%. And then afterwards, oh my goodness, let me just adjust here. Looks like we have Michigan at 1%, and then after that, all of the rest of the states are 0.9. So, what's interesting is this. They're less than 1% for the rest of the states outside of uh, Michigan. Now, what that means is that when we first started the podcast back in 2019, the number one community, number one state was Virginia. So things have changed demographically. Our demographics have changed because it used to be 54% male, 38% female back from 2019 to 2020 to May 3rd. Now the demographic has shifted where it's majority female. 52% female, 52 to 53% I believe, and 29% male. And 19% of... uh, non-binary, and 2% of unspecified, not specified. All right, so what does this mean here in the States? Well, the interesting thing is most of your email are coming from states where we have the fewest listeners, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, we get them from Texas every once in a while, California for sure. But these people are writing in from places like Vermont, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, Tennessee. And that's fine. Because here's the thing. These people are now expressing themselves and they are doing it in a way that really helps them and helps us as far as educating us. Now, one thing that I want you to understand here is that it's not about exploiting anyone or exploiting their situation because we all have had a compromising situation in our lives, an embarrassing moment. It happens, it's supposed to happen because it kind of humanizes us in a way. So 
the thing is, a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't want to put my business out in the street. We get that. We understand that. And there's an added layer of comfort in the fact that I'm not going to sit there and just drag you through the cold. The reason why I'm not doing that is because of, one, I have integrity. Two, I have respect for you, the listener. Three, more so than anything, your life is just as important as anyone else's. That includes your respect, your privacy, and those kind of things. So we have to look at those things as well and understand that you should be able to live among us without being pointed out. This is the reason why I tell you when you write in, don't put in too many specifics. I can only go by what you tell me. I don't need to know the person's name. I don't need to know where they live, what street they live on. I don't need to know what company they work for. I don't need to know those personal things, just the whole overview of the situation. Because many of you have written in and you've given me some intricate details about certain situations like, whoa, really? Do I really need to know this? I don't. And not only that, I want something where the listeners can use to help them as well. Because many of you are sharing things in order to not even, not just go and help yourselves, but to go on and help others. I get it. We have a medium where we can do that now. Before people were walking around, everybody was in their own private hell, right? Nobody wanted to talk about what was going on in their lives or what was going on with their situation because we all had our own issues to deal with. And now that we have a better outlook on things, we can go and do things a little bit better. It helps us. Now, some people would say they would beg the difference true enough, but for the most part, I think technology has worked out in our favor in so many ways. Now, today's topic. What we're going to talk about is something that some people don't like discussing. It involves someone coming on too strongly in the initial stages of a relationship. Now, there are some people out there with high libidos. We see them all the time. And when they come in, they have no regard to any kind of shame, embarrassment. They just come in there and they want to get their point across, no matter what, that they really want to be with that person. You see this a lot. Now, sometimes it's the platform you meet on. And the reason why I'm talking about this in particular is because Mario sent in an email and I'm going to read it to you out of Augusta, Georgia. I need my head examined. I first met this woman on Tinder. We went out, we hooked up, we did our thing, we broke up, we went our separate ways. Lo and behold, on Plenty of Fish, we met up again. Whole different filter on her face, didn't recognize her. We went out on a date and yes, as soon as I walked through the door, I realized it was her again. Well, we hooked up again. We did our thing. 
This time, however, she wanted to have a full-blown relationship. I don't know if I was down for that. I mean, the sex was great, but more than anything, I didn't think that we had anything else in common. My question is, should I take her seriously? Because now it's all about her trying to want to have a relationship before it was about sex and that only. Is there any possible way I could figure out a way to take her seriously? Because I personally don't think I can. Your help is most appreciated. Mario, Augusta, Georgia. (sighs) Mario, the way I look at it is this way, my friend. Um, You can't. It's like you trying to unsee something you saw. You can't. And folks, ladies, let me tell you something about this in particular, because some of you kind of get it wrong. That man that has seen you naked before and you want him to uh, erase that image, doesn't happen that way. Sorry, it's already recorded. Here's the thing that I will tell you. Explain to her that you started out with sex And that's where it's going to lead to. And that's probably where it will end. Because see, what she wants you to do is to ignore the past relationship you guys had. And start anew with this one. You know, you have people that are talking about they're reborn and they're renewed. They're they're a new virgin and all that other. All that's bullshit. What it comes down to is you have a different attitude, but you're the same person. You live in the same place in most cases. You still have the same job, the same car, the same life. And you try to run away from yourself. What does that say about you? You didn't like yourself in the beginning. So you're on this perpetual quest to be something you're not. That's the worst feeling in the world. See, the lack of self-identity is very problematic for many people. Now I want you to couple that with a person trying to go and find someone to date. And they don't really know who the hell they are. But yet they're going out here making demands of other people. And these other people are looking at them like, get real. Because see, people become so centric in their thinking and their beliefs. Because again, beliefs do not have to be proven. The only thing they have to be done is just for a person to subscribe to that belief. You don't have to have any facts, any data, nothing like that. Most ignorant people live off of beliefs. This is the reason why the most religious countries, if you look at them, a lot of them are poor. A lot of the people are poor in those countries. They're loyal, they pray on time, they do all of these good things. But the reason for that is because with a belief, you feel as though you don't have to do that much more. And instead, that belief will compensate for the work you would need to do yourself. A lot of times we don't like to look at that. So what does this lead to for you, sir? She believes that you're supposed to accept her in a new relationship with you at a new starting point 
and you're supposed to forget about everything that you've experienced with her in the past when she was on Tinder. So from her perspective, in her world, it only applies to what she interprets as what you should believe. Now it's up to you. I personally would do this. I would just let her know up front. Uh, we started with sex. It's probably going to end that way, but we can go give it a shot for the relationship. If it starts with sex or money, that's the way it's going to end. And for you ladies that don't know, once a guy has pegged you as somebody that's out for the money, he will never trust you. He will never have confidence in you. He will never believe you. And more so than anything, he's never going to ever feel comfortable around you when it comes down to integrity. I remember one guy that I knew, he was a client of mine years ago, and he was married to a very voluptuous, beautiful woman. I mean, she was gorgeous. When she came into the office, let me tell you, every man in the office came out of their offices just to say hello. She had that kind of impact. Problem was, her husband was very wealthy. He was a budding millionaire. He had made his first, I think, four or five million dollars. He had a distribution company. And the interesting thing was, he didn't trust her. He had a mistress that he trusted. And on occasion, he'd come into the office and bring her. Just by the way they interacted, he trusted her much more. They got along very well. He spoke to her as if she was a true confidant. With the other lady, oh, she was just eye candy and just a trophy on the arm. When he wanted to talk business, we'd take him in a conference room where he'd want to go. And, of course, the secretarial staff would entertain her along with some of the other representatives just to placate her while he took care of business. But now when the mistress came in, she was actively involved in the conversation. And so those things worked out pretty good. Now, my suggestion to you, sir, is do just what I said. But like I say, I can't do this for you. It's up to you to make the decision. You can give it a try, but more than likely, you're just going to exploit her for sex, and that's going to be it. She's already torn her shirt. All right. Let's see what else we're dealing with. Caroline writes the following out of Spartansburg, South Carolina. I've been thinking about dating this young man in my office for several years now. He first started with us, he was 23, now he's 27. I'm 47. Recently got my divorce. Thank God I am done with that situation. 
My daughter's about ready to leave home. She's 20. She's the last one to leave the house. Once she's done, I have the house all to myself. And I'm really thinking seriously about inviting this young man over for dinner one evening. I'm just trying to figure out a way of doing it that won't be so intrusive. I know he doesn't have any family here, and I know there's a good possibility things get going. Oh, we're going to have some fun. We're going to be rocking and rolling. But I just need to figure out some kind of icebreaker to start things. We've exchanged looks in the office, but nothing really serious. But I'm looking for some way in order to let him know that I'm interested. Any ideas? Well, my dear, what I would recommend to you is handle it with kid gloves because you're in a work environment. You may want to make it a weekend venue, for instance. Maybe Friday night, you guys will have drinks. Uh, something of that sort. What I would do is uh, invite him over for conversation. Nothing's wrong with that. Keep it out of the workplace, first thing. You might want to do it while your daughter's not around because, uh, you know, wandering eyes may decide to go there, then again, it may come down to a situation where your daughter might go for it. Don't know. Now, other thing. I would say very much so to look at probably seeing whether or not he's game for a relationship with an older woman. Because he could very well not be. Well, if he's exchanged looks with you, I think that there's a possibility he's interested. Now, being that he is interested, we'll assume, we don't really know, do we? Then you, as the older woman, has to decide what kind of relationship you guys are going to have. I would not recommend a sexual one. And the reason being is that you may just be a one-hit wonder with it. You want to make this thing last, you got to make them comfortable. What do I mean by making them comfortable, my dear? Having it where he can come over, he can relax and enjoy himself, maybe get him a robe, maybe a few cigars, things that he likes, beer, so he could be comfortable. And see, once you do that, and you start with the sex, it's going to really make things work. That was security team member barking at something that's going on downstairs. I think they were moving something. Anyway, yes, that's what it comes down to. Once he's comfortable, you give him that sex. Yeah, he, now, one thing I will tell you, 
there's a good possibility he's not going to want to leave. You got to watch that too. Now, once he's hooked, you got to establish some rules up front. First of all, one, now you're 47. He's in his 20s. There's some rules that got to be established. First rule of thumb has to be, number one, he cannot, under any circumstances, take that relationship into the workplace with you. You guys have to be total strangers in the workplace. Now, I personally don't recommend dating if you work for the same company. I always suggest that one of you leave. But in this case, you guys are going to do this. You don't want any conflict with management, any conflict with any kind of coworkers. So what I highly recommend is that you guys act like total strangers among each other. Uh, no honeys, no kisses, no love taps, no post-it notes. And for God's sake, do not use the company email or any of the company equipment or communication lines in order to communicate. Here's what I would suggest. Even if you're going to text each other, you might be using the company's Wi-Fi. Disable the Wi-Fi and connect to him on data. And he does the same thing with your mobile device. Do not use the company resources. I'm just telling you this as a safety measure. A lot of people will say, man, you're crazy. No, I'm not. Because people have been fired for less. I'm telling you, don't do it. Because if they ever have an audit and they check IP addresses, or they happen to find that the two of you have been communicating, especially if you've been communicating on a company messaging system or something of that sort, they're going to stir fry your ass. So, no. So you just want to keep it where the two of you can be discreet. Now, other things that will help you along the way, ma'am, shaving your vagina, especially your older ladies, I'm telling you, if you can stomach it, if you can do it, or if you have to have electrolysis or bikini wax, whatever, have it done. Because a lot of guys don't like gray hair down there. Just telling. So that's a concern that you have to consider. Another one. Stay flexible. You don't need to necessarily wear a lot of lingerie. A satin bath robe or a satin robe is enough with nothing else under it. Because in this way, it makes him feel as though he's got you at any time. Which means that increases your value to him as a man. Because see, as you are the woman, the older woman, and you're nude, what you're doing is you're getting him to cross that hurdle of, you know how women have that insecurity about the body issues, body dysmorphia and all that? Well, if that man is loving you up 
That body is dysmorphia and security kind of goes out the window, doesn't it? Well, this is what happens. And once that occurs, then it's just about the two of you getting things started and getting things hot and heavy. And that's what it's about. I think it can work. I just think you have to be very discreet, very subtle with it. Um, what you could do, and I would recommend this, and people don't think I'm paranoid. You might want to suggest to him at work that, hey, tell him verbally. You know, maybe we should go and have a drink after work today. Make sure it's off-site. Don't do anything in the parking lot whatsoever. Cameras are always around, correct? Looky-loos are always around. So, you want to go and definitely get off-site. Maybe go have drinks with him at a bar or something like that for the initial meeting. There you're going to exchange numbers. There you're going to find out a little bit more about each other. There you can express yourself a little bit. There you can establish the guidelines and the rules about not doing anything in the workplace. That means no company resources being used whatsoever. Underscore that, stress that, enough. If you guys are found out, have a contingency plan. Both of you say nothing. Now, here is the thing. The majority of times, when you get in trouble with relationships in the workplace, it doesn't have much to do with the two parties involved. It has to do with a party that is outside the situation is observing. And they may be the ones who are offended, who go to HR. You know, it's just like when white folks get upset when black folks use the N-word and you have to apologize to them for using the N-word towards another black person. Figure that one. I personally don't think the word should be used at all because it's stupid. So for the most part, what are you looking at? You're looking at establishing something that could feasibly exist, but you just have to be very careful with it. Again, I personally don't condone these relationships, but each his own. More in a moment, folks. Everyone, Jocelyn here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Now, let's um, look at an article that was written on Metro News about 12 reasons why women hate dick pics. Now, I'm not going to go through all 12, but I'm going to give you a summary of all 12. Reason being, some of them are redundant. 
the one thing that they always come up with is it's offensive, which is true. Guys, let me tell you something. The worst thing you can do, the lowest thing you can be is a person who's sending dick pics. The reason being, that translates to a woman as to say you have no self-esteem, no self-worth. You are worthless. Now, secondly, they look at you as being disrespectful. They look at you as having low self-esteem. They look at you as being someone who's desperate and presumptive when it comes to sex. Or they'll see my penis and they're just going to swoon. Believe it or not, the majority of women that responded said they actually think penises are ugly and they don't like them. Because, see, the thing is they have to like the thing that the penis is attached to called the guy. So, see, the way it works, fellas, you have to go have that connection with her cerebrally, then emotionally, then vaginally, and that's what makes your dick look good to her. Outside of that, sending her a random dick doesn't cut it. Because what it does, for many women, it offends them. It incenses them. Now, here's another thing. Okay, say she's seen your profile online, and then you send her a dick pic. You just ruined a fantasy for her. Because she might have been expecting to see this long 11-inch banana, and all of a sudden you have a 3-inch Vienna sausage. Now, once that image is in her head, it doesn't leave. It's just like with us guys, when we see a woman naked, we never forget that image, we burn it in our scalp. It's the same way when it comes to women, and you send them a dick pic. Now, some women, and I don't agree with this particular tactic, may have a boyfriend while they're still trying to go and see if they can get another guy. In other words, women will do this every once in a while when they're doing a handoff. Meaning that they're going to hand themselves off to another man. The guy that they're with doesn't know that she's going to break up with him. And so what she's waiting on is for this new guy to go and to give her the means in order to go ahead with the relationship. In other words, she's looking for the guy to say, hey, let's go on and get this started. However, some of you guys, unfortunately, send the DPs. She gets this, and so to make her boyfriend jealous, she will send him a copy of it. That can lead to conflict, of course. Some of these women will take these pictures and put them on gay and transgender sites. It's been done. Some of them put them in groups on different social media platforms that are usually private groups where the women just go talk about them, laugh about them, make comments, that kind of thing. So you're putting yourself under ridicule and scrutiny by doing this. And please understand one thing. As this is being done to you, 
Fellas, it's ruining your reputation. All the way through. No offense and buts. And plus, she doesn't want someone who's doing this to be her man because nine times out of ten he's doing it randomly with other women. Other things that come to mind. She can never envision you as being the guy she'd want to be with. She could never respect you in that regard. She wouldn't want to have sex with you because she would look at that thing and feel as though, well, other women have already been on it. Why would I want to be on that thing too? So, there's no reason for this to happen. Now, if she asks for it, that's different. If she solicits a dick pic, that's different. But the majority of dick pics that are submitted to women are unsolicited. And many times these guys will do this before even meeting these women on dating sites or so forth. They would just go message the woman and send them a picture like that. I'm telling you fellas, that shortcut to sex never works. Very, very seldom, if ever. I've only met three women that I know of that are okay with receiving them. All of these women were damn near morbidly obese. And the majority of these women were not, how could I best say it, able to be sexually active because of their size and health conditions. And the reason why they wanted this was because of the fact that they can't get other guys. So they did not mind receiving these. See, if a woman is into you, fellas, the first thing she's going to do if you're chatting She's going to turn this relationship, she's going to turn the conversation sexual. If she does that initially, that means at that point, she's going all the way with it. When she goes all the way with it, it'll mean that there's a good possibility. There's no reverse gear for that situation. In other words, she's made a choice to go sexual. And at that point, the conversation is going to go that way. Now, the key is for you not to lead her that way. Because the thing is, when she's leading, she's already got the demand and the desire to be with you. It's up to you to come up with the stamina in order to hang. what it takes alright so the moral of the story is fellas no dick pics to these women unless they solicit them from you you're wasting your time and embarrassing yourselves it's not a good look no matter how you look at it 
Alright, let's see. More in a minute. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here. I was looking at Psychology Today and there was an article that was written back in 2003 that I thought was pretty interesting. Now, Dr. Smock, S-M-O-C-K, had some data that was uh, compiled a while back from a research study she did. And the interesting thing was she talked about cohabitating partners when it came to marriage in particular. And she emphasized how socioeconomic conditions determine whether or not a woman who was cohabitating with a man would marry. And what they found was that one in four would not marry their partner due to socioeconomic concerns. Now, this kind of gives credence to the... uh, stat that I looked at in the other study where after 10 years of cohabitation without marriage 69% is the probability of that relationship failing from that point forward due to non-committal or continuing on. Now what this means primarily is that overall money, income, plays a role. Now, to give you more of an insight on this, Asian, Hispanic, and white women go for relationships with an 80% perception that they will probably marry someone of equal stature. When they get with a man of lower expectations, roughly, that drops down to 50% probability of them marrying that person. So what they're doing is taking a 30% drop from their aspirational goals to what the reality is. Now with African American women, it's at about 50%. And it drops down to 42%. Now, as we know, the numbers are very dismal when it comes down to marriage in the African-American community. I think an African-American woman is about, has a 24% chance of ever marrying because of the way things are so structured, and a lot of it has to do with the bastardized family structure in the African-American community now, being that you have a lot of uh, kids born out of wedlock. And there are other problems besides that, social economic problems. Kids are rearing kids. So that's where the bulk of the issues are that we would have to address somewhere in society at some point. Because, after all, it's going to come back to bite your ass at some point. You have about 7 million Caucasian females who are single 
head of household. About 4.2 million African American females that are single, head of household. That's as of uh, 2020. Now, do statistics make people bad? Of course not. What it does, however, it shows them that they can improve, that they could do better and go beyond the scope of those negative statistics. Sometimes we miss out on that. Sometimes we fail to acknowledge that. And we get stuck on the negative and never the positive aspect of the negative message. Oops. So, what does this come down to? It comes down to something very simple. If a woman does not see that a man is capable of supporting her or at least meeting her halfway, then what happens then is she kind of forfeits the idea of marriage and she winds up in a relationship. This is how a lot of you women wind up settling with guys. You know what I mean. You cohabitate with them. You're with them about five years or so. Then you have a baby with them. And the hopes are that you guys can get together, have a home. And a lot of times you're doing it ass backwards where you're trying to get the house. You have the baby, you're trying to get the house. And then after you get the house and get your careers together, then you're going to start looking at getting married. Now, the problem for many of you, you don't make it to that stage. Usually you start and stay in that stage of complacency. And the aspirational thing is the house is the milestone for some people in relationships. It's a status symbol. It's a sign of you getting into maturity, adulthood, responsibility, ownership, investment. Promoted by the banks and the mortgage companies. Because they don't give a damn whether you get into a house or not. As long as you are paying the mortgage. That's all they're concerned with. They make the interest off the mortgage and they're happy. Especially for you folks that got in the homes where many of these banks borrowed at 0% discount rate from the Fed. So you're paying that 85 6.5, 5.5, 4.5, whatever it is, and a half interest rate. And they're sitting back collecting it. And the only thing they have to do is pay the government back the principal. That's just the way it goes. And you struggle for 20, 30 years to pay that mortgage. Some of you, very successful at it. You pay it off, get your property taxes, and you got that all laid out. Others of you, struggle. Now, Here's the thing. When you're working, some of you are making enough money where you can cover the mortgage, 
property taxes, everything, right? You retire, times get a little bit tight, you got to look at your finances. Property taxes may become a threat, but they shouldn't. But for some people, they do. So some people go back to work just to pay the property taxes on the property so they could keep the remainder of their retirement to themselves. Makes sense, right? It depends. But see, as a couple, especially if you're not married, got a lot of things to consider. It's easier for the partner to stray. You guys have an argument, being that that person's not married, doesn't have a contract with you, not committal, they could go and say, well, you know, we don't have to be together today. That person can go sleep with someone and not really have the moral guilt of infidelity or cheating on a spouse. And I know in relationships we say cheating is cheating. But here's the thing. You don't have an enforceable contract with that person when you're not married to them. When you're married to them, you do have an enforceable contract called a marriage license. Because it's a contract between two people. It's a marriage. It's a legal binding document. <laughs> so that's the distinction. That's the difference. So, a lot of people cohabitate for various reasons. Now, I was talking to one lady in particular years ago, and she told me that she would never want to marry because we were thinking about maybe dating. And I asked her, why not? And she says, here's my reason. She says, if I date, here's the problem I see. I will date you, but if I married you, I couldn't make mistakes where you would forgive me. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, if I decide to cheat on you, I could always ask for forgiveness if I dated you. But if I married you, you'd probably want to divorce me for breach of contract. I said, well, that's one way of looking at it. I said, so in essence, you wouldn't want to get married because you would still want to be able to be excused for irresponsible behavior. She tried to switch it up, but that was actually the answer. And this is the reason why a lot of you fellows don't quite understand why these women don't want to be in a marital type situation. They don't want to be engaged. They just want to live together. It's so that if they find someone else that they want to screw, they can screw them without guilt. That's what it's about. They don't have to explain things as thoroughly as they would if they were married. And they don't have to worry about so many other things. So you take on a big risk as well as the guy, especially if she has kids and she moves in with you. Oh, you're going to catch hell trying to get that situation unraveled if she ever decides to leave you. Or better still, if you decide to leave her. Depends on what state you're in. You got to watch the common laws there. And also, watch the child's residency laws. Because in some states, if that child has created a bond with you over a period of time, even though you're not that child's father, but you've provided shelter and housing for that child, 
that judge could very well say, well, you know, the kid's kind of used to uh, the environment that you provided for them, and I think it's only right that you contribute to this child's welfare. Be careful on that, guys. Check your state laws before you get involved in a relationship. And I will tell you right now, Nevada and Massachusetts, two of the toughest states in the country when it comes down to child support. Tennessee is another one. Check your state laws. Very important. Don't go by hearsay. Look it up. It's online. It's free. Look up your state laws to find out what you may have to contend with by doing this before you start cohabitating with anyone, ladies and guys. Because there are certain things that you have to deal with. Let me tell you something in particular. When it comes to residences as far as uh, renting rooms and those kind of things. And the rules change throughout the world. Different rules in different countries. The one thing to keep in mind is this. Always have an option for yourself. An option to legally get out of something if for some reason it's going bad or south. Don't allow yourself to get involved with something and never have an exit strategy. Don't think of an exit strategy after you're in it. Think of it before you get involved. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's much easier, a hell of a lot easier. I'll put it to you this way. You go into a store and a fire breaks out. Guess what you have to do if you haven't really looked at where the exits are? (laughs) You got to find them. But if you go in the store and you know where the exits are when you get in, if a fire breaks out, you know which exit to go to, right? Basic logic, folks. That's all it is. That's all it is. We're going to talk more in just a moment. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Now, Snowdonia asked the question about where would be a nice place to date? And apparently she was talking about globally. One of the places that comes to mind is Wales. Many of you may not know where Wales is. It's in the United Kingdom. Now, Wales is rather unique. You have Cardiff. You have Snowdonia, named after the lady who inquired about places to date. And ironically, her name is reminiscent of a location there in Wales. Beautiful beaches, wonderful mountains, castles, historical history. This is a place where it's more like a fairy tale with many of the legendary places we read about in history. 
Now, interestingly enough, they have a singles population of about 16 million, ranging from ages 16 and up. So it's very enchanting. A lot of things to do, a lot of engagement, enjoying venues that you would definitely admire. A slower pace, not the hustle and bustle of city life. Laid back. And it's good because about 8% of our listeners in the UK live in Wales. So this, of course, makes it that pleasant place. And this is a good thing because some of you are looking for peace, looking for a vacation spot where you could probably meet someone that's loving. And yes, they have issues just like they do anywhere else in the world when it comes to two people getting involved in a relationship. But one thing that really helps you with this is that environment of serenity, of openness. When you're dealing with local folks who enjoy each other, appreciate each other, love each other, respect each other. Unlike the security team in the background here that's trying to tear each other's guts out over a treat. Just kidding. Two Yorkie poodles going at it because they just got treats. But for the most part, I think it would be a place that you may want to put on your calendar at some point to maybe take a visit to and get a chance to meet the locals and meet the people and enjoy the shops and some of the beautiful venues and vistas they have. More in a moment. Hi everyone, Jocelyn here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. I want to thank uh, all of my listeners globally. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, some of you have written, left comments, and I just want to thank all of you. Now, what I want to discuss in this particular segment is vital. Take for instance, you found that partner. Their partner's found you. And you may be diametrically opposed on a lot of things. And there are more things that can break you apart than that can put you together, right? What you have to do is you have to look for those bonding characteristics of the relationship. That's going to make you stronger. And sometimes the fear that you both experience for you breaking apart are the very things that could bond you together and make you a better couple. Overcoming adversity. See, as long as the relationship pertains to you and your partner, it's we, us, and our. The minute you start trying to comport your relationship to someone else's wishes or likes, it becomes theirs. And you never want that. 
Because once it becomes their relationship, they dictate what you and your partner will value and enjoy and prioritize. The relationship is yours. Look, it's hard enough in order to live life where you have individuals that are trying to control you. As I've told you before, the hardest thing for you to do in life is to control your own destiny. The easiest thing to do in life is to follow someone else and allow them to lead you the way they would like for you to be led. And in order to avoid that, you have to be selfish in your determination for you and your partner as to how successful you will be in that relationship. So what that means is the two of you have to hunker down and choose to be successful in your endeavor. Now, I know it's easier said than done in many instances because you have other factors that are involved, such as family, friends, peer groups, social discourse, that kind of thing. But you have to really look at the bottom line. If the two of you really want to be together, you will fight just as hard to be together as you would if you were trying to separate you from each other. So we have to make a negative and turn it into a positive. Now, what are some of the things that you may differ on? Religion, politics, social perceptions, philosophy, race, ethnicity, culture, background, history, traditions. The list goes on and on. But you also have to weigh the things that bond you. And you have to really look at and assess what are the things that are threats to your relationship? What are the benefits of the two of you being together? If the benefits outweigh the threats, there's a good possibility you're in a good place. Even if you have a lot of threats, if those bonding issues can definitely outweigh the negatives based on the magnitude of your commitment, you've already are ahead of the game. That's the hardest thing for some people to do. Now, one thing that's really a challenge is to go into a relationship when you lack the confidence. And there are many people who do this. You see it all the time. People want relationships. They'll put it in their profile, put it in their personal ad. And then when they get a relationship, they don't know what to do. They're running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Before you get involved in a relationship, folks, you need to know that you first have the confidence within yourself in order to make that decision. The worst thing in the world to do is just to haphazardly go along with the relationship and then have questions or have concerns or doubts and you just go and deflect from them and wait until things get really crucial and then start bringing them up. That's a bad thing to do. You want to point those things out early on so that the two of you can tackle those challenges together as a team because that's what's going to take. Now, as I told you before, there are four things you got to work on when you first start dealing with another person. Understanding their character, understanding their behavior, understanding their situation, and understanding what the X factors may be associated with them because one leads right to the other. Now, 
the thing is to understand is don't ignore some of the characteristics that may be problematic in the relationship. What do I mean? Take, for instance, the person lacks confidence going in. That means that throughout the relationship, you're going to have to shore up that person's confidence. Are you down for that? Because not all people are. As you go through this, by building this confidence, you also have to consider the fact that they may behave accordingly, which means they may be bashful, they may be shy, they may not want to voice their opinion, they may feel as though, if I do this, it will step on some toes and ruin the harmony that's already established in the relationship. Don't put yourself in that situation. Open up, talk to your partner. Reveal the insecurities, the concerns. Do that up front. It makes it much easier to go along with the relationship where you can be a part of it. You want to be an active part of your relationship, not one of these passive people that allow it to just go. And by pointing these things out, what that does, it shows interest to your partner. And when your partner sees that interest, they're going to counter it with other interests involving the relationship, which makes it flow that much smoother. Communications and consideration are two things that are required in a relationship. Don't allow yourself to just go and just be complacent with just one aspect of it, being that of, well, I'm in it, so I'll just put it on automatic pilot and let it go. It takes work. W-R-O-K, I was going to spell it wrong. W-R-O-K to equal L-O-V-E. Everything we do in life, we have to put forth effort in order for it to be completed. And remember, you always have three choices in life. Do something proactively to make it better. You could be totally placid and do nothing. Or you can also do something to make it worse. Sabotage, which I don't recommend. And so you have to decide. You have the choice in that matter. No one else but you. Now, I'm going to read you an email from Consuela out of Spain. I'm having such a hard time now. I met a guy on Tinder and we have been chatting now for three and a half months. He's talking about coming to Spain. He lives in Virginia. I don't know quite how to deal with a person from out of my country. I'd never dealt with someone like that before. He seems to be pretty nice. However, I do have my doubts about a couple of things he has said to me. He's focused a lot on money. That seems to be the big thing for him. He's telling me I should come to the United States and be with him as opposed to him coming over to be with me. I'm more well established in my profession. I'm a doctor. He, on the other hand, is a day laborer. He makes his money, but it's not as much as I do. I have more things settled here, but he's afraid of leaving the United States because if he does, he's not sure if he'll be able to come back because he's there on a work visa. My question to you, Johnson, is do you think I should take a risk on moving to the United States or allowing him to come here? I'm really confused about this. 
I'm 25 years of age and I don't want to make a mistake. Consuelo, what I would tell you is this. Stay at home. Here is the reason why I say this. You are far more established where you are than you would be coming to the United States. You would have to start over again here. You would not have to do so much there, of course. You, he comes over. You can integrate him into society. You're more established than he is. Being that he's a day laborer, that means that when it comes to providing for you, it'll be a hit and miss. He's here on a visa, a work visa at that. So, it just seems to me it would be more palatable if he came to you. You coming here, the only problem I see is you'll be a social disadvantage. You'll be starting over again. And besides, you're a doctor at 25 years of age, a medical doctor. Here in the United States, more than likely, you'd have to go back to medical school. So you'd be setting yourself back. Just something for you to think about. In this case, if he's not willing to come over, I wouldn't take that risk. And I tell everyone this, if you are established in your country and the other person is retired, for instance, or unemployed, or something of that sort, it's only obvious. The person with the stability should be the mainstay. That's just the way it should be. Now, it's different if you have skills that are transferable, which you do have. Don't get me wrong, Casuela, you do. The only thing is, though, in order to practice here in the United States, you'll probably have to go through, through some more medical training. And I don't know if you're willing to do that compared to what you've already established there. But again, it's up to you to make the decision. All right, let's go on here. Jordan, out of Billings, Montana. I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to put it. But I have fallen in love, damn it. I really didn't want to say that word, love. I've been playing the field for years. Never really took any woman seriously, but this girl that I met out of Ogden, Utah has my heart and my mind right now. She's rather slow on making a commitment. I've been asking her to come on up here and visit me, but she has refused. Not saying that she doesn't trust me or anything, but she's just not too comfortable leaving where she is. I'm thinking about coming down to see her but I've got my doubts. She told me about her family and being that I'm not Mormon, that would be a major problem for her and her family. I don't want to change my religion, which is none, but I really like her. Any ideas on what I can do in this situation? Opposites attract, sir, and you're definitely the opposite of her. What I would recommend in this situation is you guys will need to sit down and really talk things out because apparently she's not budging. So what does that mean for you? That means that she's committed more to her family and her traditions and her religion than she would ever be to you. So I don't think there's room for you in her life. I think she's nice and comfortable, 
but she's got too many influencers that's holding her with her own traditions. So what that would mean is you would have to relocate to Utah. You would have to uproot and take everything that you have. You'd have to also comport yourself to her religious beliefs. And will you be comfortable with that? Now, I don't know how old you are, sir, but it just seems to me that I think something like this would be a drastic change. You have to weigh the odds. Would you be comfortable in a situation like that? You have to ask yourself this because the whole thing comes down to even if you were together, you'd still be dealing with those differences. And you have to make sure that you don't have any animosity for that change that you made in your life for this person. Would you want to stay a Mormon if things didn't work out? Would you want to stay in Utah if things didn't work out? Would you want to still be in a relationship again with someone else if things would not work out? Would you consider becoming a Mormon that's in a relationship with another woman as a Mormon if things didn't work out? So would this be a temporary change for appeasement or would it be a long-term change for a life goal? This is a big question. Now, when you're younger, you usually will adapt to whatever environment it is because you're so hung up on the experience and the excursion. But we have to get past that and look at the environment that you'll be living in afterwards. Choices are tough. You have to weigh the odds. She's not the only woman in the world. Keep that in mind. I know she may have your heart right now, but the thing is, does she feel the same way about you? Because if she did, if you're willing to make the sacrifice, would she make that sacrifice for you? And the answer is no. So that should give you a clue right there as to who would carry the weight in the relationship, wouldn't it? More in a moment. everyone, Johnson here with your Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Now, um, there was an article that I read, and it was insignificant because it was really a post. And the lady was talking about how men are chauvinistic in the bedroom, etc., etc. It was a very derogatory argument when it came down to men in general in the bedroom I'm going to save you the pleasure of not reading it because it would even upset women as well as men um, I sent the article to a few friends of mine and they read it and they were all pissed male and female and it was only obvious that this person had gotten into a relationship in some ways under duress So this is what I want to talk about today. Obligatory sex and consensual sex. What's the difference? Now, a lot of women are under the impression that they have to provide sex for their partner. 
based on keeping him, based on him not cheating on her, based on the fact that she wants to convey that she loves him, based on the fact that she may feel it's a duty, based on the fact that she doesn't want to be the heavy or the person to blame uh, if he has, you know, a situation where he's horny and she's just not providing the sex for him. In other words, she doesn't want to be a bad guy. That's understood. However, we have to understand a couple of things. Ladies, one thing is this. Don't sexually repress yourselves. Now, a lot of you do this. Where, yeah, true enough, you're having sex with your man, but you're not enjoying it. Now, a lot of times this is based on the fact that a lot of women have been conditioned. Your job is to lay in the bed, look up at the ceiling fan, and wait for him to finish when you're not into him or when you're not into sex at that time. You may not be in the mood. Maybe something on your mind. You just may not feel like having sex. The one problem that usually comes from this is the lack of communication and consideration. And I don't mean consideration for him, consideration for yourself. There's some of you ladies that have written in about how you hate being penetrated during sex. This is one of the reasons why I tell you in the beginning of a relationship, you guys need to have an honest to God talk about what you like in the bedroom and what you don't. A lot of you skip that conversation because you think as though, well, you know, I'll give him some sex here and there or we'll try it and see and it's going to be satisfactory and you guys are going to just walk off in the sunset together. Doesn't quite work that way. First of all, you don't know how frequently he may want it. Secondly, he doesn't know how frequently you may want it. You may be a person who has a very high libido. You need to let him know going into the relationship about the things you like. Do you use toys, vibrators, dildos? You got to let him know these things. Because let me tell you what happens with a lot of women who don't. They will wind up having sex with the husband, boyfriend. After they have sex, then they go into the bathroom and masturbate. Or they masturbate later on, or they may not even touch themselves. They just want to hurry up and get it over with and not have anything else to do with sex. Now, many of you ladies have written me, and a lot of you ladies, believe it or not, in your 30s and 40s are over it. You're over the sex thing. Some of you may be premenopausal. Others of you just may not have that desire. Now, a lot of you ladies contend with the fact that you want to have sex, but mentally you're there, but physically you're not. You're not stimulated anymore. You're not aroused anymore. And many of you feel bad about this, and you shouldn't. What you need to do is communicate with your man about what's going on with you. We can't read minds. And sometimes what happens, the woman turns the man off in the bed. She may say no. And then what happens with this, he may try to find out, and you want to keep that to yourself as to what's going on, and that's a bad thing. Because then he starts to think, well, maybe she's cheating on me. 
Maybe she's being fulfilled by someone else. And so he starts to examine you a little bit more. And it could very well be that you just don't want to have sex. And sex doesn't always have to do with penetration. Some of you ladies decide to use oral as opposed to vaginal anal. And after a while, it becomes a norm. There are others of you who just will go do the, do the vaginal thing and then you're done. Some of you just give them anal and that's it. There was one couple that wrote me recently and the wife was so over it. She said the only thing she does is roll over on her side, pulls up the hem of her robe, let him finish doing his thing from behind, and then she just puts the robe down and goes to sleep. Their sex becomes very routine. Now, what are the things that happen? See, what the man is looking at is when you don't communicate with him and you're laying there and you don't want to have sex, you push his hands, hand away, you scoot away from him in the bed, you no longer want to fill his penis or anything like that. He's thinking, she's exiling me. When you exile a man, that's the worst thing in the world you could possibly do for him, from his perspective. Because at that point, he's like, well, she doesn't want me anymore. I'm not desirable. She doesn't love me. Maybe my penis is too small. Maybe I'm not in love with her anymore. Maybe she's not in love with me. Once that starts to happen, the man becomes disenfranchised. He starts to feel rejected. He begins to feel the same way he felt with the girl before he met you who rejected him. In other words, he feels as though maybe I need to look elsewhere. Now, as you know, with men, we don't talk about things to each other. So he's going to keep that to himself. But guess what he will do? He will purge this to another woman. And usually, it's going to be someone that's got a listening ear. And that listening ear is going to probably be with someone you either don't know or you may know. And depending on that woman and how she feels about the situation, she's going to either try to encourage him to go to counseling, get some help, get the two of you in counseling, or she may take that opportunity upon herself. Now, this is not uncommon for your best friend, ladies, to take advantage of an opportunity like this. And it's not because he's not penetrating you and ejaculating in you and that, that kind of thing. It's because of the fact that he feels as though he's no longer wanted by you. So therefore, he may do other refractive things, such as not wanting to even talk about sex, not even wanting to introduce it in the conversation, not wanting to do anything with you anymore, not to even, he'll still provide for you and those things, but you are on the road to becoming roommates. Two people that just happen to sleep in the same bed. Now, 
another thing that also happens in this context, some of you may preoccupy your time by doing other things so that you're not available for sex as a way of deflecting. Go out with your girlfriends, spend the night over at your girlfriend's place. You don't want to be bothered. Now, there's some of you, of course, who don't want to be bothered with a man at all, at least for a certain period of time. Some of you ladies will try to stretch sex out. So, for instance, you may have sex on one day and not even look at him until two weeks later or a week later to even think about sex. There are others of you who do it every night and it's underwhelming. You're over it. Some of you have laid in bed and you're listening to this podcast right now and hadn't had an orgasm in your whole marriage. I know because you've written in about this. There was one lady in particular that was married 32 years and never had an orgasm until she got her divorce and got with the first guy she met after the divorce. There have been women that I've slept with that were married and divorced and never had an orgasm. And it's really interesting that this actually takes place, but it does. Now, many of you ladies have started out with sex, 17, 18, some of you have even started even younger. But you found that you were pleasing the partner more so than your self-pleasure being considered. And so the reason why you go into this realm of doubt is because of the fact that it was never a pleasurable experience for you. Some of you ladies have been molested. And for that reason, sex is not something that you look forward to. And you can't find pleasure in it because it was never consensual in the past. But you go along with it. Others of you find it very pleasurable and enjoy it a lot. In fact, so much that you lead with it. So much that you will tell a guy everything you'll do to him before you even go on your first date. Not uncommon. It's a normal thing. Some women do that. Now, another thing too. Some of you ladies like to save up. Have it more anticipatory. So, you may give him some sex in January. Guys may not have sex until April. And that way, you build up for that crescendo. For that big moment. Now, it all depends on how you view sex in your life, where, where it's its place in your life. That's something you have to consider, because some of you may not even consider it. And you like the benefits of being married or in a relationship. You like the benefits of dating. You like the benefits of intimacy and romance, the kissing, the hugging, the touching, the fondling, but you don't want the penetration. You may not want the, how could I best say it? You may not want the view that you're being violated. 
There's some people that have that image in their head. There was one lady that I dated, she told me straight up, when we have sex, I don't want you to do doggy style because the person that I was with was very violent when he did it. So you have to communicate and be considerate. I can't stress that enough. So that he knows what he's getting into with you. You gotta talk while you're having sex. Ask him, how does this feel? He needs to ask you, how do certain things feel? He needs to ask you what would be a better position for you. These are things that he needs to do as a man as well to solicit your consideration on things. And you need to do vice versa. The worst thing in the world is to just lay there and both of you just humping, humping, humping. And he busts the nut and he rolls over and goes to sleep and you're laying there with your legs open. The sperm inside of you thinking, damn, I didn't even come close. Foreplay is essential. A lot of men are not educated on this because they're so busy trying to talk about how many women they screw. They never focus on the fact that it has to be a process. Every time a man has sex with a woman, it should be a process. It shouldn't just be gut bucket fucking. And that process involves arousing you, getting you into the mood, and then satisfying you based on those sentiments. It's got to be mutually satisfying. The hardest thing, however, is for the guy to know if he's doing things right. Because, you know, as guys, sometimes what we'll do, we'll go in and act like we know what we're doing. Because what worked on the last woman should work on this one. And some of you ladies think the same thing with men. My ex-husband, ex-boyfriend like me doing this, so this will work with me. Now, here's the thing. You need to have that down-to-earth conversation with your partner before you have sex. I remember one lady I dated, she told me, she says, well, how do you feel about anal sex? And I said, well, what do you mean? She says, well, I like it that way more so than vaginal. And I was like, okay. And she says, if you're okay with that, we can do it. But that was her thing. That's the way she orgasmed. You have others. It could be vaginal. It could be clitoral stimulation. Not penetrative stimulation. It depends on how the woman is wired. And ladies, many of you already know your bodies. You've masturbated. You know, you've experimented. You know what works for you and what doesn't. There are others of you who don't because you got into a relationship and you never really got a chance to know your body. And basically, you and your boyfriend had sex for the first time. And so that was the norm for you. And so as long as he was doing certain things, you thought, okay, well, this is it. This is the way it's supposed to be. And not always, because a lot of women don't get a chance to explore themselves and understand. Now, some of you are embarrassed by 
having sex toys because of the fact that the guy may become jealous, intimidated, embarrassed, feel as though he's inadequate. You know, there was one video I saw on TikTok. The guy was giving some bogus information, telling the guys that you don't want to ever see her, her nightstand drawer. You never want to see what she has in there. She has power tools and all this stuff. Well, it depends on the woman as far as what she desires. The object for the guy is to not be intimidated, but to understand that, hey, we could do this and we'll make it work. Now, here's the thing, though. As men, we have to understand, in order for her to be there, we have to get her there in tandem. In other words, she has to be in that orbit, in that zone. And you can't force it on her to be in that zone. It's something that she has to willfully participate in. Now, a lot of my friends in the past used to get in trouble with this in their marriages. That's the reason why they were cheating 90% of the time. Even though they had good wives, they had good friends. And I told you about the friend of mine who had the wife that was very attractive, very funny. But the problem was, and my friend told me at the time, he says, the problem was the sexual experience was lackluster. And he had tried explaining things to her, but the problem was she never communicated with him. She always kept it to herself. And therefore, she did just enough in order to get him, you know, done, but not enough what he felt as though she really meant it in the bedroom. And so eventually he quit even going there, and she didn't put up any, you know, fuss about not having sex. So he assumed that, well, my wife and I are not having sex anymore, so that means that I got to go out and find someone else who does. I've seen it also work in reverse. A lady I knew would always call me up and tell me, hey, um, you're a man, I still need to ask you. My boyfriend and I, we haven't had sex in six months. He's never tried, I've walked around in lingerie, I've done all of the sexual things for him, and he just swats my hand away, not interested. What's going on? I said, I couldn't tell you. It could be a million and one things. It could be that if you guys had a dispute of some sort, he could still hold that grudge. And this can work both ways. And people will use women. They'll weaponize sex as a means to passively aggressive get at their partner. Well, I'll fix him. He doesn't get any more nookie. I'll fix her. She gets no more dick. She's on dick restriction. It's not uncommon for that to happen. Now, the problem with this whole situation is when it gets to that level where it's in the bedroom, 
you got a problem that's outside of the bedroom that has come in and now it's part of your lives. And the two of you will have to work it out if it's going to survive. Now, you could try counseling. You could try a sex therapist, a licensed sex therapist, not one of these nut jobs that go on YouTube or go on TikTok and just give you their opinion. Where they have stages that you can go through that will assist you in trying to better your relationship. Now, as you know, I'm a big advocate for therapy as opposed to listening to these quack jobs out there giving opinions. Because these folks are just out, for the most part, trying to self-aggrandize, trying to come out and make a name for themselves, get on Oprah or whatever. It's not about that. It's about you, the listener. That's all it's about. Now, another thing. Some of you ladies feel as though as you talk to your girlfriends and find out what they're doing in their relationships with their man to see if certain things will work and you'll try these different things. And you may find that none of those things work with you and your partner. They may have something going on. It has nothing to do with an older woman. Or even, uh, not an older woman, but even another woman. It could be something that he may be dealing with at work. Something that he knows about that he's afraid to tell you. Maybe he lost his job. Maybe he found out he had a diagnosis that he doesn't want to let you know about. Because men are very prideful. He may be coming down with ED. And this is one of the most feared things for a man is to wind up with his libido being lower, especially if he's dealing with prostate issues. A lot of women will leave their man based on this. I know it sounds crazy because you would think that most women would stay with their men. A lot of them don't. Now, when I say this, I'm not talking about divorcing. I'm not talking about breaking up. I'm talking about getting with someone else. I bring this up because I remember when I was younger, a lot of women who were married, who were in relationships, who had married and dated older men, they would always come to me come to my friends, they'll come out to the nightclubs, they'll come out to the restaurants, and their sole purpose was to actually get laid. And they would tell me, I hadn't had sex in seven years, I haven't had sex in eight years, I haven't had sex in 10, 12, 13 years. Or they'll start the conversation off that they had been celibate. And a lot of times it wasn't by choice. They got with an older guy, because ladies, let me tell you something. Around their 50s, and some men, their prostate, it will adjust. And when that does, he may only sport wood or get hard in the morning when he got ready to pee, or later on when he needs to go to the bathroom. And outside of that, he's flaccid. 
There's some men that just don't get hard at all. If he has diabetes, if he's suffering with other kind of illnesses or nerve damage, that will impact him. And men, we like to keep things like that personal. We don't go to the doctor a lot of times. We self-diagnose. And therefore, we also start thinking for our partner like we shouldn't instead of talking to them. And we make up these scenarios. Oh, she's not going to like me. I'm worthless now. The only thing I can do is just pay bills and pay the mortgage and make sure that she and the kids are okay. Meanwhile, I know what's going to happen to me. I know what my future is. She's going to leave me, find another guy, and I'm going to wind up being old in a retirement home, dying prostate cancer or, or some other thing. Because, see, society's already conditioned us as men as being expendable. So, therefore, we kind of keep that to ourselves. And, ladies, you got to talk to your man and open him up on things. Others of you may go through menopause and may go through a period where you don't want to be bothered. You don't want to have sex. You don't want to be penetrated. You may want just clitoral stimulation. And that's it. One lady wrote me in particular. She and her BFF, very close friends since high school. They were in their 40s. Husband was in in his 60s. He wanted penetrative sex because he was taking Viagra and going through Cialis and all the rest of the stuff. And he had that new feeling going on, invigorated. She, on the other hand, didn't want penetration as much anymore. And she and her BFF started becoming close. And she and her BFF wound up experimenting one day. And she wound up falling in love with her and divorced her husband and got with her BFF. But she never communicated to him that she felt that way. It's communication, folks. It's consideration, by all means. Now, this is a tough subject to talk about because many of you are in relationships where if you bring this up, your partner will feel slighted. They would feel as though you betrayed them in some kind of way. But you haven't. You're being honest. We're going to talk more about this in the next segment. Now, some couples have tried going to Vegas or doing something else that's a little bit more 
enticing in order to spice up the relationship. This may work, but usually it's a temporary fix. The problem is your relationship is broken. And this is where the two of you need to work on it together. A third party involved is nothing more than a band-aid over a larger problem. So we have to face what the core causation is. Now, a lot of times we will just go and maybe skim the surface with the partner on what a problem is and still hold that problem inside because we're afraid that if we reveal too much, it's going to send the conversation in a direction that may start an argument or may create some sort of conflict or controversy. And so you just do whatever's adequate in order to just sustain the relationship. You're walking on eggshells. And with this, these eggshells are still walked upon in the bedroom. Now, there's sometimes that, and I, the reason why this is so frustrating to me is because I've read your emails. Some of them I can't read on air because they were too horrific and too graphic about how these individuals dislike their partner. I did find one that I could read from Marissa. She writes the following. My husband and I have been married for 22 years. I can truly tell you, I literally hate him. I hate having sex with him. Every time he pulls out that four-inch wiener, the only thing I want to do is throw up. I hate sucking his penis. I hate for him to put it in me because it's not adequate enough. We have tried toys. He's tried a penis extender. We have tried all kinds of things. We've even gone to sex therapy. I'm debating whether or not it's him or his penis. I think because his penis is associated with him is why I don't like him. I really can't put a finger on it as to why I don't like my husband anymore. But I know one thing for sure. When he rolls over and hugs me, I don't feel the same way I felt when I first met him. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's been a great man. He's paid the bills. He's taken care of me. He's taken me out. So I'm not missing that aspect of the relationship. He does foreplay. He tries his best. But God knows I just don't feel him anymore. I hate to say it, but I think I've fallen out of love with him. He tries his best. He really does try with me. He's bought me lingerie, all kind of sex toys. Nothing arouses me. I find myself pleasuring. She's got here. I find myself pleasuring on a regular basis. I'm elated when I do this to myself. But when I'm with him, for some reason, it's just not there. We have tried the sex toys with him and I together. It just doesn't work that way. Once I have my orgasm, I'm done. I can put the vibrator away and I'm good for a good week or so. With him, he tries every other night. 
and it just repulses me. Sometimes I stay up as late as I can, hoping that he goes to bed and I can just get a good night's sleep without even him touching me or speaking to me. I know this is wrong, but I just don't know how to deal with this. There has to be something wrong with me, Marissa, Orlando, Florida. This situation, prime example. Now, I wrote back to Marissa and I asked her about childhood, things like that. None of that impacted her, apparently. She doesn't know why, and she's going to a therapist in order to find out why. Something she hasn't done. They went to therapy together as a couple. She needed to go individually to find out what was going on with her, because she could have had a change in life, and some women do. Now, it's also not uncommon for women to get into their 40s and even 50s and 60s in some cases where they just have this burst of sexual energy. Now that's not always the case but a lot of times it is. There was a lady that I met years ago and she had um, this thing where she would tell me, she says, you know, the reason why I have so many children, and she had six, working on her seventh when I met her, she said, it feels good when I'm pregnant. And I asked her, what did you mean by that? And she says, well, it feels like, in a way, I'm having sex. She said, I get aroused when I'm pregnant. I'm very aroused. And she says, I don't understand it, but I'd like the feeling. Now, mind you, this woman had had seven children by seven different men, seven different baby daddies. And after she had the children by these men, she would also end the relationships. She would never marry them. And there was something deeper than just her sexual desire to be pregnant. Eventually, what she found out after going to a therapist was that it was because back in her childhood, she wanted to be a mom. And that was the focus. And so, as she saw it, that was her happiness, that was her nirvana. Not being with a man, but having a child. Now, in that same vein, she had remorse when these kids started to grow up because they were no longer dependent on her and they were independent. Some people are wired that way. Now, the one thing to keep in mind about this, ladies, is that when it comes down to you and your partner talking about sex in the initial stages of the relationship. You need to be upfront and tell them what you want. Don't hold back. 
If you like deep throating, tell him that. If you don't like oral sex, tell him that. If you don't like whatever kind of sex, let him know. Don't be bashful about this. This is your time to express yourself in the most provocative way you possibly can. So he will understand. Because see, as men, we don't know going in. Even though we try to act like we know what the hell we're doing, we don't because every woman is different. And like I said, using something from an old playbook may have worked in a past relationship. You're dealing with a new person. Things are different. Now, you could try some of the things that have worked in the past for you to please your ex-man. And if it doesn't work, he should let you know as well. The same thing when he's dealing with you. Some women like rough sex. Some women like very, very soft sex. And it has to be discussed. If not, you get to that point, and many of you ladies know what I'm talking about here, where you don't want to hurt his feelings, and you just go along with it. And throughout the whole time, you're looking up at the ceiling and saying, God, will he hurry up and finish? It's imperative that you express yourself. I can't stress that enough because a lot of you don't. You sit there and you just accept it. Now, why do I say this? Because many of these ladies that I've met in the past and that even right in now, like Marissa, talk about how they can't stand the experience. Sex should be an experience. It should be an enjoyable experience for the both of you, mutually experience. This is the closest two human beings can ever be together. And so with that, you want to make it the most pleasurable thing. Now, some of you may love the person and hate the sex. Some of you may have it vice versa. Now, what happens in the inverse, where you like the sex over the, over the man or the guy likes the sex over the woman, your relationship is based on that nexus. This is the reason why some of you ladies stay in abusive relationships, because he has good dick. This is the reason why some of you ladies stay in a relationship if he cheats, because he has good dick. This is some of the reasons why you ladies will stay in a relationship with the selfish man because he has good dick. The reason why you stay with him because he may decide to go out, be with his friends and have a life outside of the life he has with you because he has good dick. There are guys that may not be with the prettiest woman in the world because she's got good pussy. Many guys may not even want to be attracted to you for whatever reason, but he's with you. Not because you're beautiful, not because he loves you, because you have good pussy. Now, the misconception for most women is that you give a man some pussy, he's going to always come back. That's not always the case. If it's based on sex, ladies, I can tell you, if you're not good with it, he's not coming back. And we're not talking about you being a porn star 
are you being some kind of uh, person that's really killing it in the bedroom? But it's about if he's not really into you beyond sex. You're an object. Just like some of these ladies that screw these guys. Objects. A lot of divorcees. What do they wind up with? Objects. You see a lot of these women in their 70s, 50s, 60s, sleeping with 33-year-old men, 22-year-old men. And they're doing it for the rush. Now, some of them, some of them are doing it in order to stay relevant. They try to live in the contemporary lifestyle, even though they were members of a past generation. And they're doing it more to stay relevant than it is about satisfaction. So they don't mind having a strapping young stud with them because the relationship is based on that alone. But see, that's a dysfunction in itself. That's low self-esteem in itself. And the person is using their vagina in that instance just to stay relevant. And men do the same thing. They give it to a younger woman. They feel as though, hey, I still got it. Just like the older woman says she still got it. And then it comes down to the fact that he's getting older and eventually he's going to be patronized by the younger woman. He's not as hard as he used to be when he was younger. And therefore, she's just going along for the ride. She realizes that the only thing I have to do is make him come, and he's going to be tired for the rest of the week. Where she can go out and get with someone in her peer group and use that sexual energy to her benefit. Because she may not be satisfied with him, but she's done enough in order to satisfy him. Now, a few months ago, I got an email from a couple, or it was really from the lady, but apparently the husband had contributed his two cents in it, and they were writing me about an arrangement that they have. And that arrangement is, they still stayed married. They're both in their 50s, but they both sleep with the younger people. They don't have sex together at all. He has a young 20-something-year-old girlfriend. She has a young 20-something-year-old African-American man. They get along in the household and they made it work. And now that's rare, but it happens. Now the only thing is, though, they're afraid that their partners may hook up at some point. And so they try to keep that distance. And that's how they have been able to maintain that relationship. Because their biggest fear is for these two younger partners to get together and make the both of them irrelevant. Now this couple were open about their situation. And they had been married for well over 25 years. But they just stop 
people finding each other sexually attractive. You have some people that will do this because whatever you prioritize in that relationship will become the focus and your lifestyle, your behavior, and the situation you find yourself in will be dictated by that priority. That's the way it works. The woman that's only with the man for his money, as an example, that's a priority over everything else in that relationship. The man who's with this woman because of sex, that's the priority for him over anything else in that relationship. And that's the way it goes. Now, it's a tough reality. But some of you right now need to reevaluate what your priorities are in your own marriages and relationships. Let's see where you are. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Stay tuned. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.